This is Season 2 of the MENA Talks podcast. The MENA Talks is a series by the BIC on the wider Middle East and Africa regions. Once a month, our hosts, along with special guests, will have a frank discussion on underlying historical, economic, social and political drivers behind today's systemic issues. The BIC is present on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Follow us and subscribe to receive our latest news and publications. Hi everyone, you're listening to Mena Talks. My name is uh, Wilson Fash. I am a journalist and a consultant for the BIC, the Brussels International Center. And today we are going to talk about the war in Ukraine from Ukraine with a special episode recorded between the Donbass region, the city of Izium and Brussels, where I interviewed uh, Lisa Michel, who is the head of the EU affairs at the International Crisis Group. Today, I'm uh, bringing you with me to the front line in Ukraine, in the Donbass region, to talk with the soldiers attempting to push back against uh, Russian troops. And we will also attempt to figure out what uh, could be next for Ukraine and whether Europe has the will and the means to uh, maintain its support for Ukraine if the war continues for many more years. Now, allow me to take you with me to the region of Barmut, where for many months now, Moscow has been uh, concentrating all its effort with the help of uh, Wagner mercenaries. In the area around Barmut, I was able to join the unit deployed on the front line. The Russian positions are less than five kilometers away. Both sides are aiming mortar shells at each other, and the Ukrainians are trying to hold their positions. Go ahead and enter. Watch your head. There you go. When we have a break, we put the kettle on the stove to keep it hot. When we have guests, we heat more water on the stove. Usually five of us sleep here. This is the living conditions of the field. It's a basement, little more than a hole in the ground. This is where 20-year-old Alexander sleeps with his men. This is my colleague's bed, and mine is right next to it. It's okay, it's pretty comfortable. In general, we don't have time to change, we sleep with our uniform on. On the left there is the space where they sleep, on the right there is an area where they are able uh, to store food. They even have uh, a wood stove offered uh, to them by volunteers, on which they can boil uh, water for their morning coffee. Yuri is 45 years old, he is the eldest of the unit and also the most experienced. He joined the army back in 2014, at the beginning of the war in the Donbass, between the Ukrainian government and the separatist entities backed by Moscow. We lead almost an ordinary life, but a life in wartime. We work, we fight. That's our life. We wake up in the morning, we eat, we fight. That's our routine. These men eat, sleep and fight in the same place, in the middle of a field. There are days where the fighting is very intense and others, like this morning, when uh, not much happens. And it may sound uh, paradoxical, but for Alexander, that's the worst, when nothing happens. 
There's also silence, whole days of silence. And silence is the worst thing because you don't know what's going on. When there's fighting, you are concentrated on your task. You're always ready. But when there's silence, you start to relax, you don't pay enough attention, and that's dangerous. Once they are done with their coffee, they head back uh, to the surface so that they can show me their position. I'm not allowed to explain uh, in detail what it looks like because I was asked not to for security reasons. Uh, what I can say is that uh, in the ground, they dug a, a small underground shelter, just big enough for maybe four to five men to hide inside. And they also dug uh, trenches to hide their ammunition. Look, we dug trenches in several places to store our ammunition. That way, if we are bombed, all our ammunition will not be hit at the same time. There's gunpowder, there's shells, that's how we do it. Alexander has just received a radio message from uh, another unit. They spotted Russian troops movement with their drone, so now the mission is to target the area with mortar fire. They have a few minutes to act, they put on their ballistic helmets and jump into a hole where they have hidden their weapon. Ready? Fire! On Alexander's command, his men fire several rounds. We have enough soldiers, our people are patriotic and ready to fight if necessary. But as far as weapons are concerned, it's true that what we have is not enough. Russian forces have since claimed to have uh, finally captured the city of Barmut after months of uh, brutal fighting which would be their first uh, significant battlefield success since last summer. 16 months after the start of the Russian invasion, there seems to be no hand in sight for the war, despite uh, most of the Western world siding with Ukraine. As I returned from Ukraine, I sat down uh, in Brussels with Lisa Michel, who is the head of EU affairs at the International Crisis Group, to talk about what Europe's support towards Ukraine has been like so far and what could be next. Especially since um, since 20, uh, February last year, so since the large, large-scale invasion um, by Russia um, of Ukraine, we have seen a huge increase of EU support, of course, to, to Ukraine. Um, and it's in a wide range of um, areas. Um, on, Of course, in the, the very much um, when it comes to humanitarian aid, um, as well as support to, U- um, to Ukrainians inside, displaced. Placed Ukrainians inside uh, Ukraine, as well as um, uh, those who have been fleeing the countries and resettled in in the EU. Um, then, in addition to that, we have seen um, very important sort of uh, economic support, budget support, um, macro financial assistance um, that has really scaled up, especially also even towards the end of last year. We've seen a very big uh, macroeconomic uh, macro financial assistance package. Um, uh, in addition to that, there has been the support to um, uh, military support, military assistance to Ukraine um, from the EU side, largely financed by the European Peace Facility, um, an instrument that is um, uh, basically 
uh, reimbursing member states who donate um, military equipment, including lethal equipment, to Ukraine. Um, then we have the EU has set up a military training mission um, to um, to train Ukrainian soldiers on uh, European soil, um, so mainly in Germany and Poland, um, with an aim to, at this stage, I think, um, train um, 30,000 um, soldiers, um, potentially um, Ukrainian soldiers. Um, and then, of course, the very important part um, of the EU support has also been um, the the political support and the support that comes with um, making Ukraine a candidate status for the EU accession. Um, that is something that has um, uh, sort of uh, already um, had political, very symbolic uh, effects um, that were very important for, for the Ukrainian side, but also has more tangible um, support, um, comes with more tangible support when it comes to integrating already into the European uh, Union. As you've just described, the EU and EU nation support towards Ukraine has been uh, extensive, political, military, humanitarian, economical. Yet, Ukraine is saying we need more. We are facing an existential threat in the form of uh, the Russian invasion, and we need more support still. Is the, is the EU today and the EU member states able, willing to do more, also namely when it comes to um, weaponry? We know that uh, there's been a, an agreement to supply a million uh, shell rounds within the next 12 months. Is that significant? Is that enough? What is there that the EU can do to meet the demands of Kiev, which is basically asking always for more? Yeah, indeed. I think this is this is an important point. I think Kiev has always, throughout the last year, always said that more support is needed, and the EU has always been sort of looking at ways to increase that support. So that's something that I think will will continue to be the case. Um, um, very, very understandably so. Um, the recent agreement that you mentioned is is interesting in the sense that the EU is now. Um, moving into a new phase of its um, support, um, military support um, to Ukraine, uh, because they are also looking at um, supporting um, or yeah, uh, procuring um, ammunition for for um, uh, for Ukraine. Um, it's it's um, an agreement that comes sort of in three tranches. Um, on the one hand, making sure that um, um, there is. N enough financing, so 1 billion euros extra um, for countries who can donate uh, immediately and additional ammunition to Ukraine. A second step will be then um, joint procurement. Um, so so uh, 1 billion euros of support to help member states jointly procure additional ammunition, which is going to be used to support directly Ukraine and also to fill up the European stockpiles. And the third phase is... Um, also um, ramping up or increasing the EU capacities to um, uh, to um, uh, produce its own um, uh, munitions and uh, and the military capacities. So that's much more sort of bo a boost to the defense uh, defense uh, procure procurement of the of the EU. Um, and I think that's a quite a big departure from what we've seen before. The EU hasn't really been sort of active in this field so far. Um, so for me, these, this new package shows on the one hand that there is still a lot of willingness to make things happen, to 
in EU foreign policy to move to a new phase and to continue the support even in areas that the EU hasn't traditionally been very active in. Um, on the other hand, it shows also that the way the, the way the EU had been supporting Ukraine militarily until now um, has also potentially some limits. Uh, when so for no, until now it was mainly member states donating equipment to Ukraine and being reimbursed for it under the European Peace Facility. Um, but as stockpiles are starting to deplete, there is a need for, for sort of new ways to support. Um, and we will still have to see how fast the EU can move on that. Um, these can, especially setting up these new policies, new ways of working um, between the EU institutions and the member states can take time. There's certainly a will from to accelerate this but we will have to see how fast it can deliver and whether it will be enough um, for ukraine ultimately or not the issue the challenge for the eu and its member states is to find the right balance right when it comes to supporting uh, ukraine because supporting of course they want to do it uh, as much as they can but they also want to avoid escalation with Russia, right? They have at all costs to avoid direct military, military confrontation between NATO and Moscow. So looking back, uh, in the, you know, the past, the past year, do you think, um, that the EU and its member states did find the right balance, uh, when it comes to supporting Ukraine while Uh, avoiding escalation with Russia? Yes, so the crisis group broadly has has taken the line that the EU has managed so far to keep that balance and it is a very, very difficult balance to to um, to maintain. Uh, it has supported Ukraine significantly and it was important to um, provide some of the support, especially the military support also in an incremental way um, to avoid any escalation. Some of the support that the Ukraine receives now in the early phases might have been um, might have been risky to supply um, in a large scale because it could have triggered a, fur um, an, a further escalation. Um, so that incremental support um, has been really important um, uh, while at the same time really making sure to not get directly involved in the confrontation with, uh, with Russia. And also um, other areas what was, we've seen that balancing act is um, setting up the training mission for Ukraine, but not um, setting it up on Ukrainian soil, but in European member states. So this has been even the first time that the EU has set up a um, CSDP mission, as they are called, um, on the territory of, a, of EU member states. Um, so in, in order to sort of really finding that balance and not sort of being actively training Ukrainian soldiers on the ground. So... On um, on balance, we would say that certainly the EU has has managed um, to to navigate this, um, and will have to continue doing so going forward. What's next? Knowing that you know this conflict has been doing uh, has been going on for a year, and it's not gonna probably probably not gonna end uh, anytime soon. It could last for many more years. Who knows? Um, are you confident that? The EU, both the EU and its uh, member states can keep on supporting Ukraine, maybe not only at the same level, but at higher levels, as you said, in an incremental way. Um, is there any reason to be, well, not hopeful, but, you know, to, to believe that the, this support will last 
um, if the conflict lasts for say five, ten more years? <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very good question, and I I don't think anyone can have the answer for that. It will depend on so many different factors. It will depend on how the war continues um, to to evolve. Um, we will now see a, a, a potentially a, um, an offensive on the Ukrainian side that that everyone is looking at. Uh, how will that play out? How um, yeah? How generally is go the the trajectory of the war? Um, is going to play into that. Also, the broader geopolitical context can play into it. The economic situation in EU member states, what governments we have will have in place as well in in the EU member states. We will always have elections coming up in um, across the European Union, and um, and domestic opinions can can shift, and that can play a role as well in terms of member state support to um, to to um, Ukraine. So there's just so many factors that it's very hard to um, to predict. Um, so far, I think we there have been uh, there was a lot of speculation that over the European winter, with energy shortages, etc., there could be the cracks could uh, begin to to show, and we haven't really seen that so far. Of course, there is always going to be negotiations about the level of support, about um, the the new sanctions measures to put in place against Russia, about new um, new policies, and it will always be a constant negotiation. But so far, we haven't seen any any major cracks that would really indicate. Um, a l lack or, or um, a kind of reduction of uh, EU support to Ukraine. Um, but certainly it is something that um, uh, Moscow and potentially other uh, government or other governments, uh, for example, in Beijing, might be watching very closely. They are watching and wondering how, how long the European and Western resolve will last when it comes to the support of Ukraine. Their impression is often that democracies ultimately uh, sort of weaker when it comes to sort of that such a resolve and under under more domestic pressure, and so that is something that is being watched very carefully and um, would be important for the EU to maintain the unity and um, and the support going forward. A year ago, Brussels abolished uh, tariffs and imports quota for Ukrainian farm products uh, as a sign of solidarity and al also as an effort to help uh, Ukraine's economy. However, last uh, April, Poland imposed uh, import bans on Ukrainian grains after a mass protest by farmers there over failing prices. This was quickly followed by similar bans in Hungary, Slovakia and Bulgaria in order to protect their local agricultural sector. They eventually lifted their ban not long after, a ban that was widely criticized. Politico called it a, a debacle that made a mockery of EU support for Ukraine. So is that one of those cracks that seem to slowly appear or is it mainly anecdotal and we shouldn't uh, make big conclusions out of it? So personally, I would think that it's um, uh, it's always been quite a big um, sort of step to um, to support Ukraine with um, with more integration into the European Union, the candidate status, it, it was always clear that would, that would come with challenges. Integrating a, a big a country like Ukraine um, that is currently in a war situation into the EU, even short of the full EU accession and membership, which is still very far down the line, there has been certain steps to accelerate integration into, into the EU. 
that would always come with challenges. That was clear from the start. And this is one of those. And it will be something that the EU member states will, will have to negotiate. There will be other things coming up like that. But I, um, um uh, it and and the especially the imports the farm imports has been really sort of affecting uh eastern european countries um and and uh, there there was i think domestic pressure to to sort of address that um very i think very understandable we shouldn't forget that i think looking at the numbers of support to ukraine um eastern european countries um when measured um as percentage of their gdp have been the ones who have provided most of the support collectively um uh, and and especially also when looking at, when counting accounting also for the support that they have provided to refugees from ukraine so their support is very strong i um and um and they have been the ones also pushing other eu member states in that direction so i wouldn't really read too much into this i do think there will be challenges with with um integrating ukraine further and the continued support and that will come up on other issues as well but i wouldn't read it as necessarily uh, one of the main cracks in the eu support that's my personal <laughs> perspective on it Uh, next year, in 2024, we're going to have presidential elections in the US. And already now we have um, presidential hopeful, or well, not official candidates yet, but might very soon become, such as DeSantis and Trump, who've already said publicly that they consider that defending Ukraine is not part of the US national interest. So far, of course, the US has been one of the biggest, if not the biggest, backer of, uh, of Kiev. What if in 24 we have uh, another president who doesn't think Ukraine deserves so much uh, uh, backing and uh, there is some disinterest in this conflict? Is in that case, in that scenario, will the EU be capable of um, stepping up its aid to Ukraine to replace uh, aid that it will, will maybe not coming from the US anymore? Yeah, that's, I think, uh, the, the, definitely 